Welcome to the eighth episode of Podcast 42, the podcast that talks a little bit about life, the universe, and everything. Simply put, anything goes. Okay, episode eight. Still in isolation, so I won't bore you with where in the world I am at the moment, but not doing too bad, and hopefully everybody else is doing okay out there too. So as promised, for episode eight, I'm going to talk about road trips, something I really love to do. Take a good road trip with my partner, she likes them too. We've done them in the UK and also in Europe. Yes, they are different places. South Korea, predictably, I always talk about South Korea, and various other Asian countries, the Philippines, for example. But what I've always loved is a road trip in the US, hitting the open road in the US and seeing the sights there. Lots to see, lots to do. I'm going to take you on a bit of a trip on one of my travels around the USA. I was going to do a couple of road trips on this episode, but now I've looked at some of my old Excel sheets telling me where I went and did. I think I can probably do at least one of the road trips just for one episode. It's quite a big one. Before I start, one tool I use for planning my road trips, and this is by no means an advertisement or anything, but it's a very good website. It's on roadtrippers.com. That's all one word, roadtrippers.com. And you can plan your route. They show you the nearest lodgings, any restaurants, that kind of thing, gas stations, and also points out some of the more unusual sites that you might encounter. Things like the world's biggest ball of string, the world's biggest Coca-Cola can, a UFO landing site, or an old missile silo to visit, those kind of things. Quirky, off the wall, and kind of things I like to do as well. But it also tells you the scenic routes, some of the sites that you shouldn't miss, and it gives you a little bit of a write-up about them. Very informative site. And you can bring together your route and create an itinerary from it. It's very useful. And you can print that out, take it with you. It complements my Excel sheets very nicely. Anybody who knows me knows I like Excel. Okay, so we're not going to dwell on the current situation around the world with isolations and quarantines. So let's kick things off. Yep, so I'd like to dive straight into this. I was going to talk about a few other things and introductions as I normally do. But I thought there's a lot to talk about on this particular road trip and I'd like to spend a bit of time on it. So hopefully not too boring and plenty of information and some of the more quirky sites we saw along the way. I affectionately call this road trip the Albuquerque Circle. The reason for that will become evident. This was a few years ago, I think around July 2014, so a few years ago, as I think it was at the end of my stay in Japan. We flew from Narita Airport to Los Angeles. I believe that was about 11 or 12 hours, not too bad. I always remember Narita Airport staying there the night before and earthquakes often happen in Japan and I remember one being strong enough to rock me out of bed <laughs> at the hotel. I think it was the Hilton Hotel at Narita I was staying at and I woke up on the floor of the bed due to the earthquake rocking me out of bed. Such was the strength but kind of an everyday occurrence there you got used to them after a while. Without wanting to divert too much I do remember sitting on the 18th floor of our office building during a rather strong earthquake and it was swing to and fro and people just got on with their work. They put their hard hats on just in case, but they know the buildings there are quite safe. Anyway, I digress once more. We got to LA and we flew straight away to Albuquerque. Didn't leave the airport, just flew on to Albuquerque in New Mexico. And to be honest, my only previous knowledge of Albuquerque was from when I was a child. I remember Bugs Bunny saying, I knew I should have made that left turn at Albuquerque. Apologies for the accent, but that's what he sounded like in my head. Before I go on, there's another digression. <laughs> that reminds me of times when I used to watch Elmer Fudd, Yosemite Sam, 
Foghorn Leghorn. Those kind of people. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting rabbit. <laughs> and that boy is as sharp as a bowling ball. <laughs> oh no, don't digress onto that. There's a complete episode in the future, I think, that I could talk all about Looney Tunes cartoons. Still as good today as ever. I think some of those are 80 plus years old now. Anyway, back to the story. What else did I know about Albuquerque? I should say the reason we were going to Albuquerque's was because we had some friends who lived there. My partner, she had some old friends from the Middle East from her time there and we were meeting up with them in Albuquerque where they now lived. So yeah, Albuquerque. What else did I know was that Breaking Bad, the TV show. I'm a big fan of Breaking Bad. Well, I was a big fan because it's now finished. A great TV show if you haven't seen it and I won't spoil anything about it. But Breaking Bad was filmed in Albuquerque. So we'd also planned while we were there a two day Breaking Bad tour of the town to get acquainted. Now two days sounds a lot, but the company, the Albuquerque Trolley Company, were just getting it started up then. They had the one day tour and they decided to add a second day, four hours each day, so not, not too long. And I'm not normally one for organized tours or follow the flag type things, good grief. Enough of those in Disney, I hate those. Brazilian two groups following the flag. But this was a small tour and we'd heard it was, the initial tour was very good, so we took them up on the two day. And it turned out a very good way to familiarize us with the town, or the city, I guess, Albuquerque. A very sprawling, low-rise city in New Mexico. Kind of a, a desert city almost, but really, really good place. I was really taken with it. Anyway, back to the flight, and we were flying from LA to Albuquerque, as I say. I think that was about a two and a half hour flight, I seem to recall. Surprise, surprise, we're on the flight, and we're talking about Breaking Bad. And sat near us on the plane is none other than Junior himself, Walt's son from Breaking Bad. So we had a chat with him. Turns out he's a really nice kid. Told us a bit about Albuquerque and what he liked about it. And it also turns out that many of the cast and crew who filmed in Albuquerque for Breaking Bad, that had long since finished, decided to move there. They liked the town that much. And it gave us a good hope that it would be a good place to visit. And it didn't let us down. We had a good chat with him actually. He's a really, really nice guy and happy to share his experiences. Really good. Yeah, enjoyed his company for a little while. RJ Mitty, that's his name. I was trying to remember. He played Walter White Jr. And we met him on the plane on the way to an Albuquerque tour for Breaking Bad. So we stayed in a hotel in the old town of Albuquerque. I think it was just a holiday inn we stayed at, but it was very close to the old town, very the stucco walls, that kind of thing, if you know what they are. If not, Google it. <laughs> I can't do it by audio, it's a visual effect. And it was a trolley tour, a motorized trolley, around Albuquerque. There was Breaking Bad trivia, great prizes as well, that were donated from local businesses to be given out on the tour. We actually won a cycle riding tour around Albuquerque, but sadly we couldn't take them up on it because we were leaving. And I believe the tour covered about 38 miles of the city. Really good fun, and if you're a Breaking Bad fan, it was fantastic. For example, we had a restroom break that was about an hour for some food and toilet break at Twister's Grill. If you don't know what Twister's Grill is, it's Los Polos Hermanos. I've probably said that wrong. I'm sure it's Los Poyos Hermanos. <laughs> My best Spanish accent. In those stops at the A1A car wash. I think it's called the Octopus Car Wash in real life, but it was the car wash that they used for laundering money there. Walt's house and condo, Jesse Pinkman's house. Gus's house, the laundry, as I said. Where else did we go to? Oh, Saul Goodman's office. 
Bob Odenkirk who plays Saul? I need to check that. Robert Odenkirk. I think he actually ended up staying in Albuquerque as well, or has a place there for a living. But I guess he knew that Better Call Saul was coming at the time, maybe. Yeah, it went to the, the Crossroads Motel, the hot dog stand that was featured in the show, the Hoover Maintenance Shop, where the cleaner worked out of, things like the dam that was the spot for picking up Walt when he was... Well, from when he was getting picked up, I shouldn't really say any spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, a really, really good tour. Very much an R-rated tour, an adult tour. There's a lot of strong language, obviously. And it was a really good group of people. I would say there was probably 12 people on the group, so nice and small. And over the two days, we all got to know each other. People from all over the US and a few people from around the world, including us. And a really good tour. So yeah. The Albuquerque Trolley Company, they do other tours around there, but it was a really good way to learn about the city. And we we had about four days there just to get over the jet lag before we started our road trip. So it was a really nice way to see the city. We had enough time on the evening and mornings even to see friends. I must admit in July it does get quite hot there, but it was it was more than bearable for us. So yeah, Albuquerque. That was days one, two, four. I should add, we were planning, I believe it was about three weeks vacation we had at the time for touring around this trip. And the whole route we intended on paper, I might add, was around 2,711 miles we calculated if we'd driven direct and stuck to the plan. But for me, the pleasure of road trips is sometimes not using the map so much. Yes, have waypoints that you're going to go to and some kind of plan, but very loose. So if you decide to drive another direction for one day, you just do it. If you want to take a turn off, you take it. You're never lost. You're never too far away from anything. And the roads out there are very good, but we tend to take the scenic routes rather than the interstates. And that's where roadtrippers.com really helped us because it showed the scenic route. We're in no rush. Remember on a road trip, it's not about getting there as fast as you can. It's about the journey. Oh, that's so cliched. But yes, it's about the journey. I should be on X Factor. I was the journey, Simon. <laughs> As I say, the whole route, about 2,700 miles. I remember, ultimately, we ended up doing 3,200 due to deviations that we took. So 3,200 miles over three weeks. Some days we drove longer than others, which I will come to. And some days we had shorter drives. But also we just tended to say, well, shall we drive right? Shall we go left? Shall we just, where shall we end up today? A good example of that is the very first section of the trip which I will come on to now. So, first section was Albuquerque to Bluff in Utah. Bluff in Utah is about 288 miles from Albuquerque. Actually, about, it is 288 miles from Albuquerque. We were staying at the Desert Rose Inn in Bluff. Once we got there, Bluff is a very small town. It's known as the gateway to Monument Valley. We were heading to Monument Valley, which I'll talk about shortly. One of my favorite places, I must admit. The inn was located in the historic part of Bluff in Utah. The historic part of the towns in some of these places is, is well worth looking at because it's very much original. Remember, the history of the US is not really old like London, but it's been preserved well, and it still has historical value, in my view. The architecture is all wood-style buildings, massive timbers, which excite the senses with their intimate charm. That was from the hotel book. <laughs> Set against iridescent sunsets and bold blue skies, you'll experience a spectacle rarely found. <laughs> it was. It was really scenic. The drive there was, was very, very pleasant. You're not far from the San Juan River, 
which carves its way through the landscape there. So this was planned to be normally about a five hour drive, but we had all day to do it. Due to jet lag, we, we're invariably up early most days and try and not be too late on a night. So five hour drive was expected, but we were in no rush. We set off probably about eight o'clock in the morning, grab breakfast at Denny's or somewhere like that, as always. I do love a good diner breakfast. And although I don't actually drink coffee much these days, I do tend to drink coffee when I'm in a diner in the US because it's very tasty and it sets you up for the day nicely. So really, how to enjoy your road trip? Just to summarize that, I should really reinforce this. Take your time, there's no rush. Enjoy the route, stop when you want to, stop when you feel like it, eat when you feel like it, and get some good music on too. <laughs> we took the scenic route first through the Hemineth mountain trail and some fantastic scenery. Bearing in mind, New Mexico is very flat desert. You're very quickly into the mountains once, you, once you're heading towards Utah. We took a diversion towards somewhere called Ship Rock, which is a massive rock formation. It has some religious significance in the region. It rises up on really flat, dusty New Mexico desert, and it's really hard to miss. Actually, we saw it. But getting to it was a bit strange because we did, didn't look at a map. We said, oh, we'll just head there. And we ended up touring a bit around the mountains near the area. So you have like a long plain desert surrounded by some mountains. And we went up there, had a mooch about. I remember my partner, who has a bladder the size of a walnut, and she won't mind me saying this, stopping for a pee. And I shouted, there's a bear. <laughs> yeah, she quickly scampered back into the car. There wasn't a bear. But later on, there were bears. Oh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. But there, I'll talk about grizzly bears later especially. So yeah, we've also got to remember at this point we were 7,000 feet above sea level. So fairly high up as well. And it's the remains of 27 million year old volcanic activity in the area. And there's a lot of volcanic activity we will talk about as I talk more about the road trip where we were going. And you'll also see why I called this the Albuquerque Circle. Because we do go in a complete circle, which I should have said at the beginning. So Ship Rock was sacred to the Navajo people, and I won't try and pronounce what they called it, but they called it the Rock with Wings. I will try and pronounce it. Tsebit Ai. There you go. That's my best Navajo. To our one Navajo listener, please correct me. <laughs> I don't mind being corrected. According to their legend, it's the remains of a giant bird. That wings carried the Navajo from the north to New Mexico. So it's a long journey, and a, a big rock with wings does help. So as the stories go, the original Navajos lived on the rock, only coming down from its peak to plant and water their crops. One day when the men were off the rock, lightning struck it, leaving them nowhere to get to back to the top, or for the women and children to come down for food and water. And one of the reasons it's forbidden to climb the ship rock, we didn't climb it obviously, is that the Navajo fear the ghosts of those stranded will be disturbed. So Navajo legend also places the rock in context of the entire landscape, Shiprock is said to be like a medicine bag or bow carried by a giant mythical man whose body is made up of various mountain ranges and peaks. I do like those Native American stories. Um, some of them are very interesting, very similar to the indigenous of Australia. Some of their stories, I always think, think the two relate to each other in some ways, the, the outlook on life. It's very good, very interesting. So yeah, Shiprock, very sacred to the Navajo people and a really good sight to see when it looms out of the desert and a really beautiful area. We spend a lot of time, as, as I said, just driving around, not really with any aim, just enjoying the scenery. It was beautiful weather. I remember the weather being perfect, probably about 28, 30 degrees or 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And we were just really enjoying our time. 
So yeah, from Shiprock, we moved on to an, uh, this is what I would call an obligatory or mandatory tourist stop. I do like to be a tourist. I've said it before, I'm a tourist in my own country when I'm back in the UK. I like to do touristy things, but why not? Some things are nice to see. Don't be uh, so far up yourself that you can't go and see things that are nice. So where did we stop? The Four Corners. I say in Utah, but it's Four Corners is where you straddle four state corners, hence the name. So we were coming from New Mexico, heading to Utah, but this is where it intersects with Arizona and Colorado. So the four states have corners that meet here, hence the name Four Corners. You can step from state to state. I chose to starfish across all four at once for a picture. <laughs> I do like a good pose for a picture. So yeah, this is known as where the nation intersects. And it's very obvious why. So this is another Navajo Nation area. And again, with many, many of these places, you're welcomed by the local people. And it's the only place in the US where four states intersect at one point. It's a very remote location. I remember the drive there was kind of off the beaten track. I think there was a marker. The original marker was something like 1912. It was erected with just a cement pad. <laughs> with But it's since been redone. I think it's granite and brass. And it looks very nice. The visitor center is very nice as well. They have demonstrations of Navajo artisans, vendors selling handmade jewelry, crafts, foods, that kind of thing. A few picnic tables. But if you do go there, be reminded it's very dusty. Um, there's very limited availability of any food or water or gas stations there. So make sure you, you fill up the car and have plenty of water, food, snacks, that kind of thing for visiting. It's very remote. No running water, no electricity, no telephones. You're in the middle of nowhere. But well worth a visit. And there's plenty of people there, but not too crowded. But it's, it's, it's actually well done. I, I enjoyed the place. It was good to say I've been to Four Corners. So after Four Corners and a long day driving and mooching about generally in New Mexico and now in Utah, we stopped at Bluff for the evening. I think we arrived about 6.30 at night. I remember it being perfect timing to enjoy a nice hunk of steak in the restaurant, a couple of beers and an early night. Uh, we were fairly tired. We'd had, as I say, we're probably up early most mornings when we're traveling in the US due to jet lag. It's something I, I never try to fight jet lag. It's, it's just accepted. I'm used to it. But we must have gone to bed about nine o'clock. A good sleep, ready for a nice early start tomorrow. And that was good because sometimes, especially in New Mexico, Utah, Arizona, the early mornings are fantastic because you get a different color with the sun shining on the rocks and, and the various formations. I say that because we were heading out to Monument Valley. Monument Valley is somewhere you instantly recognizable from movies, from advertising. It's just a truly fantastic site. It's a valley with what I would call a roadrunner scenery <laughs> from the old cartoons again. But it's fantastic rock formations, very desert bleak, but some of the rock formations are just amazing. I mean, we're heading towards there. And this is where sometimes taking a bit of a deviation pays off. We want, I'd, I'd always wanted to go to Monument Valley, and it was on our way to where we were staying that next night, which was Lake Powell. I will come to Lake Powell after this because, again, it's, it, that's the next section, really. So this section I'll talk about now was when we headed to Monument Valley. And Monument Valley, as I say, is fantastic. But on the way there, we happened to see a sign. It said, Valley of the Gods. And I thought, well, shall we give it a try? Yeah, why not? We had an SUV, so off-road wasn't too bad. Just don't tell the insurance company and we'll be fine. <laughs> now, seriously, it wasn't that bad off-road. It was kind of a, a dirt track, but it was it was excellent drive. So we took this right turn 
I did check on the map and it kind of took us in a big loop around some mountains and rock formations and then back to the main road. This is probably the best diversion I've ever taken. It was about eight o'clock in the morning. We'd had an early breakfast, got moving. We were driving through this scenery, which was just breathtaking. It's hard to describe in words without visually seeing it, but if you Google Valley of the Gods, it's it's truly amazing. Apt name, I guess. And the car we had dealt with it fantastically. We stopped for photographs along the way all the time. We were just even posing on huge boulders the size of a house and things like that. And some of the rock formations were fantastic. This sounds very geeky and boring, but I can't imagine anybody not enjoying the time there. And we traveled around there. I would be guessing if I said, but we must have spent two hours touring around that little area off-road. And then we rejoined the main highway. I can't remember what number it was. <laughs> I should really check. And headed on, on towards Monument Valley. And again, we got to Monument Valley and it was a short off-road sort of trek to a visitor center. I get lots of people there, a lot more people. I think in Valley of the Gods, we saw one other car, which showed how good it was and how it wasn't known so much. We spent time at Monument Valley, got some pictures. There's a, a really good road near there where you, you would instantly know it. It goes off into the distance. It seems like an endless road. And I, I got a, my usual roadkill picture. Again, if anybody knows me, I like to pose on a road as a piece of roadkill. <laughs> or as my girlfriend says, you look so gay when you do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I like to pause wherever I am. And that road off into the distance, I've got some fantastic photos of. And Monument Valley, Valley of, God, Valley of the Gods was breathtaking. Monument Valley was breathtaking as well. It's just vastness and the huge rocks. And you really feel slightly insignificant when you're looking at it, but it's a fantastic and highly recommended place to visit. In fact, most of this trip is like that. This is why I wanted to talk about this trip for so long, because it is one of my favorite ever road trips. It wasn't my first road trip in the US but certainly my favorite. I was gonna talk about another one later on after this, as I say, but I think I can fill this full episode with this. So if you're not too bored, we shall continue. Okay, so we continued on to Lake Powell. I also remember on the way to Lake Powell, which is also in Utah, I should add, we stopped at other great rock formations again. <laughs> I sound like a geology nerd, but it really is interesting. There was one called the Mexican Hat, which looked like a Mexican hat. And there was one called the Elephant's Feet, which was a bit of a diversion, and we saw that as well. I'm actually, as I'm talking about this, I'm looking at my old road trippers map and plan that we had itinerary, which is quite good fun. And also my photos from Facebook so I can piece a bit of this together. Because there's so much to remember, and you forget sometimes how much of a good time it was. So we've kind of gone through the White Mesa in Arizona, heading to Lake Powell. Again, very much desert and rock formations all the way. Really good. So Lake Powell. We'd planned a couple of days. I should add that was about a couple of hundred miles again we'd done on the second day. Or the, yeah, the second day of the road trip from Bluff to Lake Powell. So yeah, we're heading to Lake Powell, which is actually in Arizona. I think I might have said Utah, but Lake Powell is in Arizona. The whole trip on paper again, as I say, was 175 miles. But I know we did a lot more that day. We probably did about 300 that day. Just generally detouring and taking other bits of trips. So that would significantly bump up our mileage. But that's okay. We had plenty of gas, we had a good car. We had a Ford Escape, I think was the car we had for them. It was ideal for two people, luggage on a road trip where there was the occasional dirt track. And it was very, very good uh, car. I was quite impressed with it. So yeah, we're heading to Lake Powell in Arizona. We'd planned two nights there because I think there was quite a lot, well, there is a, quite a lot to see there. And it's a man-made lake. 
which I found out once I got there. I didn't realise before I got there. It's in the Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. And you're really heading into, there's the Grand Staircase, Escalante National Monument near there. You're really into National Park. I think the Capitol Reef National Park is there. The Dixie National Forest is nearby. Grand Canyon is to the southwest of this. We didn't plan to visit the Grand Canyon because we did that on a previous road trip, which I might talk about at another time. Grand Canyon is well worth a visit. But we were heading northwest towards, ultimately, Yellowstone was our goal. Well, our first main goal. Oh, car alarm going off. Awesome. <laughs> I should leave that in for the unexpected things that happen while you're trying to record a podcast as well. I'll wait for that to finish. <laughs> okay, we were staying at Lake Powell Resort. And it's called a place called the Waweep, I think. Waweap, that was it. Waweap Marina in Page, Arizona. So Page is a small town, I guess on the shores of Lake Powell. So you've got all your lake activities there. It's very, very nice lodgings, actually. I, I quite enjoyed the place. Had a beautiful sunrise the next day. Again, we were up early to watch the sunrise. It was, it was really fantastic. The reason we stayed was because you could get a boat tour. And we took a boat tour on the evening with some drinks. I had a nice bottle of wine there, I seem to remember, and food on the boat. And it took you up right the way up through the lake. Quite a long journey. Nice, relaxing evening, some music and a little bit of talk about the lake itself. And as I say, it was a man-made lake. And also, the reason we had the two days is because we also wanted to go on another boat trip up there. So we had the evening, which was just a poodle around with some music, some food, and very nice and good company there as well. And we also did the next day, we took another boat ride up right the way, the full length of Lake Powell, up to the Rainbow Bridge. The Rainbow Bridge is another rock feature. <laughs> it's a bit of a recurring thing. And it's a rock bridge, again, where over the years erosion has worn a hole through and it's formed a bridge, an arc. This is a huge rainbow, <laughs> hence the name Rainbow Bridge. It looks like a rainbow. But that was, again, truly magnificent sight to see. Yeah, I think the reason I was getting mixed up between Lake Powell being in Utah and Arizona is because I was just checking my research notes and it does actually straddle both states. So as I say, we we'd visited the Rainbow Bridge Monument it's a huge, I think they get 2 million visitors a year to the, the recreation area, and I can see why. It was created by the flooding of the Glen Canyon by the Glen Canyon Dam. So hence the name, Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. I do like National Recreation Area instead of parks. It gives it something. <laughs> I don't know. It means we can play there. Very popular. It's named after the explorer John Wesley Powell, a one-armed American Civil War veteran. And we, we learned about this on one of the boat tours. And he explored the river using three wooden boats in 1869, so not, not too long ago. So Glen Canyon Recreation Area was established in 1972. It's public land, managed by the National Park Service, and available for recreation purposes. It lies in Garfield, Kane, and San Juan counties in southern Utah, and in Coconino County in northern Arizona. And the northern limits of the lake extend as far as Height Crossing Bridge. I was actually looking for how big the lake is it's 186 miles long and i think the maximum width was 25 miles a surface area of 161,390 acres that's a lot of water but yeah i mean the level's quite low when we were there because of the time of year it being july but i highly recommend this place if you get a chance just spend a couple of days there 
As I say, it was a perfect stop for us for a couple of days. We hadn't really done that many miles by this point, but it, it was just fantastic. The interflows for it are Colorado River, the Escalante River, and the San Juan River. And the primary flow out is to the Colorado River. It's a good water source, I guess, for the whole region as well. I'm assuming it's, it, well, obviously it's a reservoir. It must supply uh, the whole area. I'm trying to think it must supply Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, I would guess, and New Mexico for sure. So yeah, very important water source in a dry area. So that was Lake Powell, that was the Rainbow Bridge. As I say, a few boat trips. Nice day spent just messing around on the water, really. Very enjoyable and nice lodgings at the Lake Powell Resort Hotel. We had two nights there. I seem to recall that being quite expensive though, but it's probably the best place in the area, so we were quite lucky to stay there. I can actually already feel as though this podcast is going to be one of my longer ones because I'm nowhere near finished on this, so please bear with me. I hope you're enjoying my trip around the USA. Lake Powell, where did we go after that? So we left Lake Powell after a couple of days stay there. And we were heading towards Bryce Canyon. I believe we had a hotel, the Bryce Canyon Pines Motel. That was the one. So from Lake Powell to Bryce Canyon, we're only talking about, I think it was probably 260 miles. Let me just double, yeah, 262 miles is what we were planning to do that day. So we drive, we drive from Lake Powell to Zion National Park, the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. And now we're getting into much more mountainous territory, a lot greener for sure. And we did spend an awful lot of time in Bryce Canyon. Another place which to describe via audio, I'm not clever enough or intelligent enough to do that for sure. It was magnificent. There's going to be so many words such as magnificent, phenomenal, breathtaking for this whole region. And each area that I'm talking about had different features. This was a completely different rock formation. Again, lots of evergreen trees. The one rock formation, there was another bridge kind of like similar to the Rainbow Bridge, but smaller. Um, I think that was down in Red Canyon. When we went to Bryce Canyon, we drove off the main main track. We turned off to go down Red Canyon and a bit of a circle around through Bryce Canyon. There was a, a very famous feature called Thor's Hammer. Lake Powell and Thor's Hammer actually appear quite often on Microsoft's screensaver on your desktop. I'll guarantee somebody listening to this has seen these pictures because it's the when Microsoft update your desktop, if it rotates through their standard pictures, if you look in their standard pictures, both Thor's Hammer and Lake Powell are in there and you can see the formations. It was very much what Bryce Canyon reminded me of is how I would imagine the US road trip to be. Some beautiful stops, lots of RVs, those huge trees, there was the, the road cut through the rock formation so you're driving through. Yeah, we drove through the Redstone Arch on Highway 12 to Bryce Canyon. That's the one I was trying to remember. And in the winter, this would get very snowy around these parts, but this was summer and again, fantastic. The sun was shining on the rocks. We must have spent two to three hours, maybe longer in Bryce Canyon, just drive a little way, stop. And at every viewpoint, there was often a walk where you could hike down into Bryce Canyon. The Queen's Loop was one part we stopped. There's was, there was so many stops. I, I can't remember how many, but I could think at least seven or eight stops we took along the whole of Red Canyon and Bryce Canyon just to stop and marvel and take pictures and really appreciate what we were looking at and where we were. It was truly amazing for me. And I'd like to think it's one of those once-in-a-lifetime trips, I guess, but I hope it's not the only time I go there because I would really love to go back to there. In fact, definitely planning another trip up that way at some point in the next couple of years, hopefully, if we're lucky enough. 
But really, again, completely different place to where we'd been in Lake Powell or where we'd been to in New Mexico. We're now into Arizona and beautiful, absolutely fantastic. So we'd, we'd gone from Bryce Canyon and we'd stayed in the Bryce Canyon Pines for the evening. Again, it was one of those days where we'd done probably 280, 300 plus miles. Never really even noticed we'd done it. Taking our time, we had a full day to do it. There's no rush. And I don't feel like it's, it wears you down when you're driving that long. It's, it's really cool. So the next day, we were leaving. Again, it was just a one night stop. But it was, I believe that was July the 3rd. I know that because the next day we were going to Salt Lake City. We were going to have a couple of days in Salt Lake City. We had tickets for a rodeo there. It was July the 4th, 4th of July. So what better thing to do than go to a rodeo? I do like a rodeo. It's not everybody else's thing, but this is this wasn't my first rodeo, but it was a very good one. I really do like it. I could talk about that when we get to it. So we were driving from Bryce Canyon up to Salt Lake City. And this is where I remember we stopped up. We saw the world's biggest soda cans. I think there's a Diet Pepsi and a Dr. Pepper can. It's just tanks that are made to look like cans, but it, it looks pretty cool. Up through Maple Canyon, yeah, we stopped, I think it was the Nebo Loop Scenic Byway we took around that place, and ended up in Salt Lake City. Again, this was probably 300 plus miles we did in the day, but we were in a rush. And, and as we were approaching Salt Lake City, you see the huge lake, there's huge mountains, and a big city. The first big city we'd really come across. We did stop off, I mentioned this in the previous podcast, we stopped off at Canab, where I got a haircut. <laughs> so part of our taking our time. Canab was famous for its, it's just a very small town, famous for recording old westerns. And they had a western set that you could have a look around. And I, I liked that, that was very nice. So we had the big soda cans, we had the western set. And eventually we got up to Salt Lake City. We had a, a just a motel, I think it was there. I also remember at the time, because the World Cup was on, it would have been the World Cup in Brazil. And on the evening we'd found, I think it was Colombia were playing Brazil. Yeah, I remember that because we stopped and we had went to a wing restaurant and we'd purposely had a few days in Salt Lake City. So we could actually look around the city. We went to the uh, Capitol building, which to be honest, in most, most big cities I've been to, I visited the Capitol buildings. They're quite worth looking at. Good photo opportunity. But we found a wing restaurant, we'd had a few beers, it was full of Colombians watching the football. Really good, good fun. And it was also 4th of July, so because we were just in a, <laughs> a small motel, everybody who was staying there had fireworks. And there was a lot of fireworks on the night. I remember walking home from the rodeo on the evening. I mean, the rodeo for me was fantastic. We had the cowboy hats, we dressed up a bit, looked the part. It was great. And so many fireworks on 4th of July. Yeah, Americans know how to celebrate. And I do like that about them. They know how to party and have a good time, or at least the ones I know do. <laughs> but we also toured around, the next day we toured around Salt Lake City to the Temple Square. The bit of the story about Salt Lake City, basically, if you don't know it, it's a city of about 190,000 people. One of the largest cities in the southwest region of the US, I believe. And it's well known as the center for the Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. More commonly known as the Mormon Church. Or oh, the Book of Mormon, now there's a good musical. Although fewer than half of the city's residents are actually members of the church these days. I was informed that there were some dry states, or maybe Salt Lake City was dry, but definitely not when I got there. There was alcohol for sale, for sure. There's lots of good ski resorts in the area, up in the mountains, and it really was a very picturesque place. I use the word picturesque a lot the last few podcasts, but this really was truly breathtaking again. Fantastic mountains. We read about the settlers who'd come there. 
And you've got to remember a lot of these people, I think it was a big German influence. Um, German immigrants had come into maybe New York, that kind of area. So yeah, you had the German immigrants coming. There was the conversion to the Mormon faith, mostly from the impetus that was from German immigrants coming to Utah. Um, but others came as miners, merchants, and latterly, they're almost exclusively German-born Jews, I believe. I was reading about that, which is all very, very interesting. And set up businesses in places such as Salt Lake, Ogden, and the other mining communities in the region. A very big mining area. So yeah, I won't talk about too much about religion, things like that. But really interesting stories you read about how you've got to remember they didn't just jump on a train or a plane to get there. And this is thousands of miles across open plains, across mountains, really hazardous conditions and inhospitable landscape. And I will talk about that because I did think about that when I was doing a later section of the drive and I'll talk about that when I come to it. So Salt Lake City was a very impressive city. Again, not many US cities I don't like, if I was honest. But this was one of my more favourites for the location. Um, just a good vibe there. Very pleasant, nice mountains. Obviously, I'd love to go there in the winter for the skiing. I think it would be very good. And as I say, we stayed a couple of nights in a motel. Something also worth mentioning about Salt Lake City, it's very close to the Bonneville Salt Flats. We didn't actually visit this, but very famous for setting of land speed records and that kind of thing. Maybe I'd, I'd forgotten about that. We should have maybe gone there while we were there, but only, only good if, I suppose, if there's any activities going on. Otherwise, lots of flat, salt flats, basically. Okay, so after Salt Lake City, we had a bit of a drive because we were heading really, again, the pinnacle of the circle we were going on was going to be Yellowstone Park. And that was kind of the halfway point of the whole road trip, distance-wise. So we were about, let me think, about a third of the way into the trip by this point, distance-wise. And we were heading towards Grand Teton. And again, another, I keep thinking that they're all my favourite places. But from there, we were, heading, we were heading to Jackson Hole. And Jackson Hole is very famous, it's supposed to be more billionaires per square foot of, of the area than any other place. Very popular with the uh, dot-com boomers, I guess. But Jackson Hole is more of a ski resort. So we drove up through Utah from Salt Lake City. So we've, we've, we've just really, by the time you get to Salt Lake City, you're heading out of Utah. And we did a, a little cut through Idaho, my own private Idaho, and we stayed at Jackson Hole. The reason we stayed at Jackson Hall because we had the Grand Teton area, which is basically the Alps on steroids is the best way I could describe it. The Alps and the Rock. It's where the Rockies comes down and into the Grand Teton area. Although I could be completely wrong with my geography there. And I learned a fact while I was doing a bit of research about this actually, about the Grand Tetons. So you have the Rockies in the distance, you can see those, and the Grand Teton Mountains, very close. And we were staying at Jackson Hall, which is very close to the Tetons. So why are they called the Grand Tetons? Do you know? I didn't. <laughs> I do now. French trappers are responsible for naming the three peaks, known as the South, Middle and Grand Teton. They called the mountains Les Trois Tetons, or the Three Breasts. The Grand Teton, the tallest of the three, literally means the Big Tit. Bravo Francais. <laughs> Well done. Only a French trapper could call it that. But that's a great name. I, I wish I'd known that at the time. I would have been <laughs> would have been able to use that reference on photos. But not Grand Teton, fantastic. And really good mountain range. And the reason we stayed in Jackson Hall, not just because it's a it's a nice place, a really good stop off point for the area. I think we had two nights there. But we're very close to where the next day we we're doing something a bit special. I booked us a balloon ride. 
we were doing a balloon ride towards the Tetons, if the weather permitted. It actually turned out the next day we got on the balloon. There's a, I think there's four other people in, in the basket with us. And it was fantastic. The wind wasn't strong enough to really take us too far, but we must have got up to 2,000 feet. Again, breathtaking views over the Tetons, of Jackson Hole, the landscape. I also remember just thinking how still and quiet and peaceful it was. Really enjoyed the balloon ride. I got much more from it than I thought I would. I'm more into jets and roller coasters, that kind of thing, mechanical movement. But this really was peaceful and I enjoyed it. And one of the highlights of it was coming into land and I could see something was about to happen. We were heading towards a little body of water and the balloon pilot was so expert that he could drop us into the water, fill the bottom six inches of the basket and then managed to put enough heat into the balloon again to zip us out again. Luckily I managed to jump my feet up out of the water. Not everybody did, I think it. I think that was his party piece. But yeah, the balloon ride, another highly recommended activity. I'm gonna have lots of these in the next however long I talk about this, but yeah, truly amazing. I should also mention that we are now in Wyoming, a state very close to my own heart. Anybody who knows me knows that I was once mistaken for a Wyominger. My very dodgy American accent in a shop one day, in Disney World one day, I said, oh, I'm from Wyoming, and he believed me. Ever since, Wyoming has been a, my home state, <laughs> the cowboy state, kind of appropriate, I guess. Okay, so we're in Jackson in Wyoming. Jackson, great place, as, as I said, very popular with, for skiers in, in the winter months. But really, in July, it was beautiful. We were sat on a, a veranda having a beer, eating some food. Perfect weather. And we were staying in Jackson. There was, I remember there was a bar there. Yeah, it was called the Million Dollar Cowboy Bar. <laughs> I just love that name. The Million Dollar Cowboy Bar. Um, there was taxidermied bears there. Like I say, saddles for bar stools. Nobbled pine interior. It's just like a living piece of Jackson, Jackson Hall history, I guess. Lots of live music there. It was, it was just really good. Really cool place. Um, kind of burger type joint. Uh, whiskies, that usual place. That was really cool. I enjoyed it. So yeah, after Jackson Hall, had a night or two there, we did the balloon ride, and now we're heading up towards Yellowstone. So we were staying in a place called Togety, which is, if you're driving north, northeast by this point, up towards Yellowstone, before you get to turn left to go to Yellowstone, continue on, and you come to a place called Togety. It's, that's actually my best pronunciation of it, because it's it looks like Togwati, T-O-G-W-O-T-E-E. -E. <laughs> this was a real highlight of the trip because another highlight, I guess. We were planning five days staying there so we could explore the whole area. And we had a, a log cabin in the mountain lodge, Togadi Mountain Lodge. Again, in the winter, this would be full of skiers and winter sport tourists, lots of ski all parked up for the summer. But in this time of year, it was perfect for the fish for exploring up to Yellowstone and the Wyoming area. So it was only a short drive from Jackson to Togarty, I think it was about 100 miles. And after the mileage we'd done by this point, we were, it was nice to have a rest, just to take our time, go and explore. So over the next four or five days, we would explore up to Yellowstone, went to see Old Faithful, have to see that. Some of the, you remember Yellowstone Caldera is a very active, volcanic caldera. I read a book once, I don't know if anybody knows of it, called The Long Earth. Now The Long Earth is, a, 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 this is a good digression actually, I should I talk about a bit of literature. <laughs> the Long Earth was written by none other than Terry Pratchett in collaboration with Stephen Baxter. 
Terry Pratchett, one of my favourite authors, sadly passed away a few years ago. I was lucky enough to meet him once, that was quite an experience. And Stephen Baxter, who helped him write this as well. He suffered from Alzheimer's towards the end of his life, Terry Pratchett. I believe Stephen Baxter helped him get this, this piece together. But the Long Earth, cut a long story short, <laughs> a Long Earth story short even, yeah, it's a series of books based on parallel worlds that are similar to Earth. So you can access the main Earth, obviously Earth that we live on is called the Datum Earth. So the, the zero Earth. <laughs> and you could step east or west. So you'd have Earth West 1, Earth East 1, and so on and so on. And the book was based on a possible infinite series of parallel worlds similar to Earth, but they had different levels of evolution or evolved differently. It was all about very much about Homo sapiens being the sapient species and how there was other species that had developed different evolutions. It, it talks about the journey of a, one Joshua Valiente, who was a natural stepper. How people stepped between the earths was using a machine that ran from a potato. <laughs> and his friend, Lobsang. Lobsang was a, he claimed to be a Tibetan motorcycle repairman, reincarnated as an artificial intelligence. You need to read the books to understand all that. And it talks about the, the parallel worlds. And the way this joins into Yellowstone is because on Datum Earth, the Yellowstone caldera erupts. And you can imagine the devastation that causes to the whole of the northern hemisphere of the world. And it's really interesting. I don't want to spoil it, but it's a very, very good series of books. So yeah, The Long Earth. There's also, there's The Long War, The Long Mars, The Long Utopia, and The Long Cosmos. A series of four books. Very, very good. I really enjoyed them anyway. If you're a bit science fiction-y, geeky, if you understand about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you'll like this. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of book. But yeah, that was my loose link to the Yellowstone Caldera. So yeah, we're in Yellowstone. Again, we say we had a few days up there. I remember, again, watching the World Cup matches that were on at the time in 2014. I think that's when Germany beat Brazil 7-1, which was more than funny. Even though I would never support Germany, but yeah, it was nice to see that Brazil team go down. They were way too arrogant. But Yellowstone, beautiful place. Although we did have one slight mishap in Yellowstone, well, not our mishap, and hopefully the people involved were okay, but... I remember after a whole day exploring around Yellowstone, we did it over a couple of days, but one particular day, we were heading back towards the log cabin and the road ahead is blocked. There'd been a bus that had overturned. Uh, I don't think there was any fatalities. I hope not. Anyway, but the road was blocked for the next foreseeable future. And I talked to the park ranger. I said, well, what do we do? You ain't getting through here today. This is the only road in and out. Luckily, we managed to use the internet, which was fortunate to get a hotel and we got lodgings in Yellowstone. I remember it being very, very expensive, but really, really superb hotel. We just had the clothes we were in, but we were made very welcome by the hotel and they gave us the toiletries, things like that. So we, we could make something of the stay and then get back to the lodge the next day. Fortunately, the road had cleared by then. But this brings me on to my grizzly bear story because the next day we were due to check out of the Togedi Lodge the log cabin we had. So our last night we couldn't stay in there, but we need to get back to pick our things up and get on the road again. We had a long drive the next day through Wyoming. And so we got up 5.30 in the morning, I remember, and we left the Yellowstone Hotel that we were staying in, driving through the forest, and all of a sudden I saw it. I pulled over the car. There was a grizzly bear walking through the woods near us. I wasn't getting out of the car. I remember seeing the signs in Yellowstone Park saying, if you see a bear, fight back. What? I'm not fighting a bear. <laughs> I saw the anti-bear sprays and things. But it did make you think about these things. These things do exist. And sometimes it's not until you actually see one 
you realize how big these animals are. This thing was padding through the woods, came out, and I, wow, that's some sight. We were very lucky to see it. The roads were deserted. There was a lovely mist hanging across some of the waterways around there. I remember it being 5.30 and sun was just coming up. The bear had obviously just been for a shit in the woods, as bears do. So pleased to see that, and it made the tribulations of the night before completely worth it. So yeah, we got back to the lodge and we packed our things up and we're off on our next section of the trip, which is probably what I would describe as the most boring section of the trip. <laughs> However, this is the section that made me think. We were driving from Togadi to Laramie in Wyoming. It's, it's quite a long way. We're talking about 330, 350 miles this drive was. Like, it doesn't sound a lot to many people, but this was probably a good if we went direct, would be about six hours drive. So this is Laramie in Colorado, near to Cheyenne, just north of Denver and Boulder, Colorado, that kind of place. But it was just seemed a good place to stop. I thought, well, we were just doing a pure drive. There was very few stop-offs on this road. And this is why we set off and it was just rolling hills, rolling one after the other. And that's when I got to thinking about the early settlers. If I was traveling by horse and cart, or even walking over these things, you would think, right, when we get to the next good place, we'll stop. And as you go over a mountain, we'll just get over the next mountain, we'll stop. You get over that mountain, there's another one, and another one, and another one. This was really unhospitable landscape. Just rolling, the weather seemed to change every couple of minutes as well. We'd have a shower or a storm come in from nowhere, and then be gone and be sunny again. It was just, as I said, it made me really got me thinking about what this place would be like for early settlers to get over these places would take months months of travel we were doing it in six hours a little bit of philosophy there as we went over the mountains i remember my partner she slept most of the way on this section and i was listening to the harry potter books on audio <laughs> just to keep me going but one highlight we did stop at was just at the usual uh, stopping points just for a break in the drive always worth if you see one to take a break on a long drive and there was hummingbirds. I had never seen a hummingbird in real life before. And these tiny little birds were feeding off nectar feeders. And yeah, I just quite enjoyed sat watching the hummingbirds for 20 minutes. Very enjoyable. So yeah, that was the highlight of a, a long day driving. Um, we got to Laramie and as I said, Laramie is nothing special. It was just a, a stop off point for us. Um, and we got a motel there before we'd go into Denver the next day. And it meant we could get into Denver nice and early the next day. We were staying in Denver for a couple of days. We had another rodeo planned, which we actually didn't make it to, which I was quite sad about. It was the gay rodeo that was on, and I was quite sad because we couldn't get to it. But we had a couple of days planned in Denver, and I'll explain why we couldn't get to it. So the next day, we got to Denver, and we were having, was it two or three days in Denver? I do remember we were going to the Red Rocks Amphitheater, which I'll come to next, but it also meant we could have a drive around explore denver so we had quite a few days there and denver was a great city i actually met a friend there in a bar who we're actually good friends to this day david he's he's now living in south carolina but we'd met him in denver has some fantastic bars some for good beers good choice of beers and wings i would highly recommend denver and this is a bit strange because again i digress but a couple of months well, about three weeks earlier before this trip I'd been on a flight from Tokyo to Manila. I was going to work in the Philippines. I was based in Tokyo at the time and flying to Manila. And on my Delta Airlines flight, I noticed there was a TV show about good places to drink, you know, get wings. And they mentioned Denver. I'm going there in a couple of weeks. And they mentioned a couple of bars, one of which was the Falling Rock Tap House. 
And we went there, and as I said, met my friend, who's now a friend, David, and his partner at the time. I think she was, I don't know if they're still together, if I was honest. They were, she was working behind the bar, and we got talking, and then they took us on to a few other bars in the area. There was a Bigfoot bar, which I really enjoyed. I do like Bigfoot stories. And it was just a nice afternoon. We'd not really had too many drinking days on this trip. And it was just nice to kick back, have an afternoon of beers, some wings, some good stories, plenty of bullshitting, as per usual, and just really enjoying Denver. And that was a nice day. And the next day we took a drive out, but we were driving up just in the local mountains around the area. So there is a road in that area, the Mount Evans Scenic Byway. And the reason I mention this is because it's the highest paved road in North America. So as a tourist, what do you do? We're going to drive up the highest road. Now this was taking us up quite high. We're up to about 14,000 feet. Yeah, it's about a 28 mile run and reaches up to 14,000 feet. Now that's quite high. I've never been that high before. I'd said to my partner before we go, we should be careful because not to go up too fast because you can get altitude sickness. And one of us got altitude sickness. We were driving back. We'd had a fantastic day. We were staying at Estes Park near to Denver that evening. And the reason I chose Estes Park was because it's famous for Bigfoot sightings. <laughs> Not that I wanted to see a Bigfoot, but also because the gay rodeo was there in the night. And I thought that would be a really good party night. And, and, and of course, you get rodeo as well, which could be good. So yeah, we'd, I did forget to mention we'd moved out of Denver into Estes Park. Very close to Denver, so no, no big drive. But... We were going up the road and beautiful scenery. There was some snow up there as well, even at that time of year. So really high, 14,000 feet. But on the way back, we got to Estes Park and I did not feel well. I really felt high temperature, fever. Out of nowhere it came. And it turned out I had altitude sickness. It took, it took me about 12 hours to recover. Next day I was absolutely fine, but it completely wrote off that evening. Um, I remember <laughs> She called out for some Asian food and I was just not with it at all. So yeah, be very careful when you're traveling to high altitudes. I was the one who gave the warning and I was the one who ended up with the problem. But I was okay, fortunately. So yeah, our night in Estes Park was cut short. And I was really looking forward to that night and it was a bit of a shame. But we'd had some good times out in Denver already. And the next night we were at Red Rocks. And we went to see Goo Goo Dolls, the Plain White Tees and Daughtry was on as well that was that was really cool the bands were good but red rocks as it's an amphitheater it's a natural amphitheater just outside of denver i would say is probably in my top three venues for music of all time it's i would say it's probably the number one natural formed venue i've ever been to amazing good amazingly good venue and the acoustics were fantastic i was just actually i just thought about one funny story from that another digression. I remember we got there early and Chris was driving, my Chris was driving that evening. I had a couple of beers and we, we were there early so we did a bit of tailgating. I had a few beers in the car, very nice. Then we went up to the gig and we had our Ford Escape that we were driving had one of those where you just press the button to start and stop it. We had plenty of fuel. We always kept the, kept the car with lots of fuel in it. We're at the gig for three or four hours. We're in the, in the area for, we came back and the car was running. We've no idea how this happened, even to this day. We took the keys with us into the gig, which is a, a good walk away. And we got back and the car is still running. We're now running on fumes and we've got to get back to Denver. How we made it, I will never know. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever been worried in a car about breaking down through lack of fuel. But somehow we managed to get to the nearest gas station. I'll never know how. But anyway, another bit of drama in Denver. It was good. 
So from Denver the next morning, so we had Estes Park, we'd been to Red Rocks, we'd stayed in Denver, had a really good time around that area, and I would like to spend a lot more time in Colorado. I did notice once we crossed the border from Wyoming to Colorado, Colorado means colorful, uh, it's a colorful state for sure, but as soon as you cross from Wyoming, it, the I shouldn't say dullness of Wyoming, but the, the grayness suddenly turned into colorful rock formations and much more pleasant scenery, so I can understand why Colorado is called Colorado. If you're following this now, you can understand that we've traveled from New Mexico, up through Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, to Yellowstone. Now we're on the way back down, so we're heading southeast through Wyoming to Denver, and we're heading back to Albuquerque. So yeah, we, we drove then, and what we did after that was a bit of another long drive, but from Colorado Springs back to Albuquerque. And we're gonna stay in Albuquerque another night before flying out. Um, this is about two and a half weeks into the trip now. We stopped um, near Colorado Springs, had breakfast, and I remember a really beautiful city, Colorado Springs. It was, it's another place I want to spend more time in. We drove down through Pueblo, Trinidad, Raton, uh, Las Vegas, not the Las Vegas, but another Las Vegas, um, through Santa Fe and to Albuquerque. Again, a few stops along that route. Things like, I believe Walter White's grave is actually at Los Ranchos de Albuquerque around that way. Um, there's an, an airplane restaurant that is an airplane. Little things like that we stopped at again on the way. Again, I think I've talked enough about this road trip, but this second, this last section was just a lot about getting back to Albuquerque and then heading out back to LA and home to Tokyo. And I believe that's the week when we arrived back in Tokyo and then moved to Australia, as you do. So yeah, that's, that's kind of a very quick summary of this whole trip. The Albuquerque Circle, as I call it. If anybody wants the details, I'll happily send them it. Just, just contact me. And don't forget podcast42 at gmail.com. That's podcast42 in words. <laughs> All one word. <laughs> no numbers at gmail.com so yeah, or if you know me anyway just contact me i can i can give you some details of all these road trips and i do think i glossed over quite a lot of that because there was so much we did just looking back at some of the old the routes some of the old photographs um, i remember we there's one i didn't mention we stopped at snake river and that was up near jackson hall i think it was on the way to yellowstone park and snake river was fast flowing and i remember surfers surfing against the current of the river flow which was really cool um yellowstone there was so much wildlife we saw bisons wandering around we saw moose around well, i won't say they were moose probably whatever they were giant deers <laughs> there's a lot of big animals about we saw so much wildlife met some nice people along the way stayed at some amazing places saw beautiful sunrises sunsets rodeos snow and just life in general it was uh, just a really really cool trip and if you're traveling with the right person which i was it's always worth the travel because you you enjoy it together so yeah i think i should try and wrap this up on that because it was such a good road trip and i'll talk about another road trip in the us we did and some other road trips as well on later podcasts but i think for now i've talked long enough and if you're not too bored by now if you've made it this far well done <laughs> but it really was an exceptionally good uh, road trip as I say, I think we covered 3,200 plus miles. Fuel in the US tends to be much cheaper for me. I, I consider it cheaper, so that was no dramas. I remember we got back to Albuquerque, and on the last note, we'd stayed at, the hotel was called the Hotel Albuquerque at Old Town. But I remember after the, the second long drive, um, when we arrived in Albuquerque, we arrived there plenty of time, early afternoon. Bar was open, we got some fantastic Tex-Mex food. New Mexico, 
for me, is some of the finest Tex-Mex food I've ever had. Texas, Houston is probably equal to it. I would not like to say between the two who is the best, but some fantastic food. If you like your Mexican food, go to these places. It's, it's fantastic. I love salsas, and they do the green or the red, or you do the Christmas tree, which is a mixture of the green and the red. Peppers, awesome. My kind of food. I remember when we arrived in the hotel also, they were just making some, some conchas, which is the traditional Mexican sweet bread. And they were just freshly made. Oh, it's so tasty, so light. Oh, mm. Look it up if you don't know what they are. <laughs> They're very tasty. <laughs> yeah, we had that. We had a few beers, some nice, some nice food. And it just finished the road trip off nicely. To be back where we started, enough time to still relax. And before we had the long journey home, we did have a couple of days in LA after that. Obviously to go to Disneyland, as you do. <laughs> so on the way back, it wasn't all just straight back to Tokyo and then Australia. So we managed to get Disneyland in. And again, I'll talk about Disney for sure on another podcast. I'm thinking about doing a whole episode for my love of Disney parks. So that's coming soon as well. Okay. And also before I go, a quick shout out to a new listener, Lisa. She's in Augusta, New Jersey and has the Blackbird Barbershop. If you're ever in need of a haircut and in Augusta or in New Jersey or even in New York, head over to the barbershop there, the Blackbird Barbershop. She'll look after you and give you a good haircut. And also another one for you space geeks out there. I know I said I should talk about the universe more, but one of my good friends, Mitch, Mitch Studdard, he has a YouTube channel. He won't mind me saying this, I'm sure, but I was watching it the other day and quite impressed. He's a bit of a part-time astronomer and he does like to gaze at the stars. Also a fantastic musician, I might add. I should talk about our, our time in the band together in South Korea because he was definitely the talent. But anyway, Mitch is known as Space Jesus on YouTube. If you take time to look at his channels, if you like astronomical things, he's well worth a look. Has some good explanations about stars and planets and the like. A good one about satellites and of why a planet is a planet and not a satellite, for example. But uh, he has some good explanations on there. Well worth a look. He's a young guy and just got this channel going. So yeah, Space Jesus. Mitchell stood it. He won't mind me saying that. Very good watch too, Mitch. Well done. What should we sign off with? I know. It's got to be a dad joke, hasn't it? We haven't had a good joke for a little while. What can we do that's funny? Oh, we'll do a... I'm going to talk about Yorkshire in later podcasts as well. I have some... I've got about enough at the moment planned for about podcast 12 so if you're not bored yet i've got another four or five episodes at least of things i keep making notes of we're going to talk about yorkshire on another podcast so let's do one and pardon the accent and if you don't understand me i'm very sorry so the farmer in yorkshire sees a man drinking in his streams so he's in yorkshire up in the dales and shouts hey up cock i don't want to be drinking water from there it's full of hospice and cow shite the bloke says, I'm from London. Can you speak a little bit slower, please? Oh, help yourself. And use two hands, you won't spill any. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible, I know. Okay, so that's the dad joke out of the way. Let's have a final quote before I go. And this is about Yellowstone. And it's from a very famous man, Mr. John Muir. He was what was considered as the first modern environmentalist. Very famous spirit of adventure and had persuasive writings for getting the National Park movement going worldwide. And he was known as the father of the national parks and John of the Mountains, John Muir. He was of Scottish descent, born in Dunbar in East Lothian, I believe. 
But interesting life if you ever want to read about him. I learned about him when I was in San Francisco. And then I didn't really realise he had influences in Yellowstone and other national parks as well, such as Yosemite. But anyway, what did John Muir have to say? In every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks. like Los Angeles to me. I knew I should have taken that left coin at Albuquerque.